the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You know, this ecumenical foolishness that would rid us of the name of Christ, we need to think that through. There is all power and authority in the name of Jesus. So pray in Jesus' name. God the Father wants you to pray in Jesus' name. It's huge. So we bow our heads. I can remember doing this and pray in Jesus' name. And people look at you like you have just infected the place with a virus. You ever seen that? Come on. I mean, we're living in crazy times today. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call at any time, 24-7, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is standing by right now to take your phone call. Here now is Pastor Michael Oxentenko with a broadcast he entitles The House of Bread. We'll bring you the first portion of this message here today. Don't forget you can always find it online at reachingyourheart.com. Here now is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko. Dear Father, I'm grateful today that Jesus is all sufficient to meet our social needs, our salvific needs, And Lord, those needs we don't even know exist, but they're there. Give us the mind and heart of Christ as the people of God in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is the son of Adam and thus the friend of the human race. Now, I need a friend. Christ is my friend. Yours too. In the Gospel of John, Jesus is a space alien who came to this world to adopt our human nature, the divine within him, and thus, as it says in John, to reveal the glory. I need the glory in my life. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is the Son of Man. Now, he's the figure who will preside in the judgment day at the end of time in Daniel. He's the Son of Man, and thus, he is the one who has control over human history. And in the Gospel of Mark, he has come into history to transform it and to bring the power of that future verdict into our everyday life. I need Jesus as my judge and advocate every day of my life. Do you? But in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is the son of David, born from the line of Abraham. He's solidly a rock-solid Jew. And thus, Jesus is the ultimate king of the Jews. He is the model Israelite. Everything that Israel was meant to be, Jesus has become in the Gospel of Matthew. Friend, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, guided by his star, the wise men came from the east. And what were they looking for? It's very clear in the Gospel of Matthew. They were seeking the king of the Jews. Christ has become many things to many people in our times. But friend, unless he is a king, Christ is not great enough. He's not good enough. He's not big enough to defeat the tyrants in your life that would rule you. You must have Christ's authority in your life. Only a king can rule a tyrant and make his subjects free. Only a king can break the power of tyrant kings so that you can live for God. Christ is a king. And so in the Gospel of Matthew, we must see him as the king of the Jews. When Christ was born that first Christmas, there was a tyrant on the throne who was a king. And so the two kings who have their places in history meet at Christmas where only kings can meet. And one king must be supreme over all kings. Matthew 2 verse 1. 
Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And what does the text say? And all Jerusalem with him. Well, you know, the whole world's troubled. You know, Jesus shows up and everybody gets nervous. Jesus is around. Have you ever noticed this? And I have in my interaction with people. If I'm in a public place and sometimes, if I ever run into you at a grocery store or something, some of you I have. Yes. And you know, sometimes we pray right there. I've looked around me. When you're praying, you bow your head in a public place, you pray. And you say, in Jesus' name, amen, because you know, we ought to use Jesus' name in our prayers. You know, this ecumenical foolishness that would rid us of the name of Christ. We need to think that through. There is all power and authority in the name of Jesus. So pray in Jesus' name. God the Father wants you to pray in Jesus' name. It's huge. So we bow our heads. I remember doing this and pray in Jesus' name. And people look at you like you have just infected the place with a virus. You ever seen that? Come on. I mean, we're living in crazy times today. All Jerusalem was troubled with Herod because Christ had come into the world. When Christ comes into our culture, when Christ comes to our life, it troubles people at times. Friends, Christ is the Prince of Peace, and yet, paradoxically, the Prince of Peace causes trouble because He brings a new attitude, a new spirit, a new mindset into a world that needs Him. In a matter-of-fact kind of way, Matthew simply says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the days of Herod the king, and everybody got upset about it. Every king has his day in the sun. And no king lasts forever. The days come to an end. And so his words are carefully chosen. No matter how much King Herod wanted to remain king, he was only king for a few days as far as God was concerned. When King Richard, the first of England, died in battle, he was first shot by an archer's arrow before he died. That's what brought him to his death, so it said. It was a form of friendly fire, I understand. I realize history can be foggy. And just before he died, it is reported, he turned to the young man who had made the mistake And he said, youth, I forgive thee. Loose his chains and give him 100 shillings. That's strange. The guy just shot you. You're dying. It was the king's way of setting the shooter free, of saying, you can live. And then the king died. And as soon as the king died, they set the archer free by killing him. You see, a king's authority lasts no longer than the king's life. And when he is gone, he's gone. You know, the book of Daniel puts it this way. God changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and he removes kings. And so Herod had his day in the sun, but he is not a forever king. Herod was no exception to this rule that kings can pass. He lived most of his life afraid of someone trying to take his life. He ruled his kingdom of fear in fear, hoping that he would be able to hang on to the reins of power and no one would take away his greatness in the sun. Herod's tomb was discovered in 2007, about eight miles outside of Jerusalem. The tomb proves that Herod was a real king who really lived and that he really died. You know, the Bible story is not a story. It is history, and we have the best record of what really happened right here in our New Testament. The tomb proves that Herod was a real king. His father, now if you go back to ancient historical records, we know from Josephus and other sources, we have a lot of information about Herod. Herod was an Edomite, and his mother, the daughter of an Arab sheik. So he wasn't really a Jew, maybe a little Jewish blood in him, but he was that outsider who burrowed his way in to become the king of the Jews. 
So in B.C. 37, the Romans made him king of the Jews. And they did it because he was so affected at killing the opposition, at bringing those freedom fighters, the Zakari, as Josephus would call them, the men of the dagger down who would stab Roman soldiers and the like. And so Herod was able to deal with that, so they made him king. And the Jews hated the fact that this Edomite imposter was somehow sitting on the throne of David. And there it was. It was an upside-down kind of kingdom when Jesus was born. Now Herod's greatest achievement, he was called Herod the Great, was the rebuilding of the temple of Jerusalem. He built the temple that would become one of the great wonders of the world, and Christ would come to this temple. It is the very place he'd be tried and sent out from. Christ would be taken right outside that eastern gate, up the ramp to the Mount of Olives, where he would be crucified. That is the best evidence. And so he would be banished from the temple of Herod the Great. But Herod, in reality, was a smaller king, subject to a greater king, and that greater king was Caesar. So even kings are slaves to kings in this world, and great kings are just small in a greater king's dominion. Herod was no one great in the great global scheme of things. Herod, in fact, had a golden eagle as a symbol of Roman power put right over the gate that led to the temple to remind everyone that he was under the authority of Caesar, and in fact, the whole nation and the temple itself was under the authority of Caesar. It was a sign that they were all slaves, and so get used to it. Obey me because I obey Caesar. Friend, tyrants are often fearful people. Have you ever met a tyrant? They're often fearful people, and so Herod in fear had two of his sons executed to prove that he would not allow them to take his throne. In like manner, he had his second wife executed. He had his first wife banished. Didn't like her, so he switched wives, got a new one, didn't like her after a while. Well, let me go kill my wife. He was king, and so he did. But big-hearted guy that he was, he forgave her after he killed her. And so to calm his grieving heart, because he didn't want to be reminded of this great loss in his life, he killed her parents too. Ever after this, it became a common practice for Herod the Great to kill his wives. You you think of Henry VIII, right? No, Herod the Great. Rome knew that Herod was a cruel king and a mess of a man, but Rome didn't care. He was worse than any scandal in the news today. We have the Harvey Weinstein scandal and all these kind of things. Hollywood is being ripped apart today because all this misbehavior is coming out in the news and people are having to resign in public office and the like. It was worse than that. Herod was worse than any of them. But Rome didn't care as long as King Herod ruled effectively over those Jewish rats as they thought them to be. These sacred holy people of God, they thought him to be that. The Roman eagle didn't care how brutal he could be in whipping them and hurting them and putting them down and suppressing them. One young woman committed suicide so she wouldn't have to marry King Herod. She thought she'd get away from him that way, but it didn't happen. He had her body put in a vat of honey, honey preserves, and he married her anyway. That's Herod the Great, not so great. That's history. I'm not making that up. And when the wise men came to Jerusalem, Herod the Great was an old man ready to die. An evil man. Could you say that with me? An evil man. An evil king. And his character was well formed for evil. He was a living picture of what Satan does when he has power over a kingdom, over a church and a people. And the wise men were looking for another king than him that first Christmas Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Matthew 2, verse 2, they speak. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and we've come to worship him. You know, there are times in life, friend, when that which rules you has to go 
There are times in life when an oppressor, either on the outside or on the inside, rules who you are. And there's a time at Christmas, this is the time, when you must choose a different king in your life. One who will rule and set you free. One who will rule and set you free. So much is implied in these simple statements of the wise men. The first fact is implied as the fact of certainty. The wise men were not asking if he had been born. The wise men were announcing the fact that Jesus had been born. The king of the Jews has been born. And they offered proof to care. They said, we have seen his star in the east and we have come to worship him. Not only is this new king a king in the context, he is a god as well. You don't worship kings. Well, you can, but you do so recognizing them as divine. They worship Caesar, the divine Caesar. They would burn incense to him. You are listening to Reaching Your Heart. More with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. A reminder, we are a listener-funded ministry. We do appreciate your support. If you can help us out with a financial contribution, here's the phone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. You can also find us on the web at reachingyourheart.com. Here he is, Pastor Mike, once again. Alexander the Great also claimed the right to be a god, and thus people began to worship him. The Greeks thought it was ridiculous. In fact, they thought that he'd gone over the top when he moved out toward Persia, taking on all these accolades of divinity. But he did so knowing that he could unite the world if they believed that he was a god. And so it was often claimed by monarchs who lusted after power that they were somehow the offspring of the gods. Augustus Caesar's mother was thought to have conceived the emperor by means of a snake at the ritual of Apollo in the dead of night, very strongly held in Roman thought. This Augustus Caesar, who was the emperor when Christ was born, was called the Prince of Peace by poets of his day when Christ was born. He was thought to be, because of this tradition, he was thought to be the son of Apollo, the son of God, the Prince of Peace. The Roman poet Virgil said this of Augustus Caesar. Augustus Caesar, born of the God, he will bring the golden age to Latium through the land reigned over by Saturn once upon a time over the Garamants and Indians. He will expand his rule to the land beyond the stars, beyond the ways of the year-long orbit and sun where sky-carrying Atlas turns on his shoulder, the vault fixed with glowing stars. Augustus Caesar is a god, King Caesar. So Herod had context when he heard the wise man speak that way. And his attitude quickly spread from him to all Jerusalem. You know, a leader can affect the people in his realm. Matthew 2.3 records his reaction to the news that a king who is a god has been born king of the Jews. Look at Matthew 2.3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now, the Greek word for trouble here is a very good word. It's the word tarasso, and it means literally to shake up or to stir. Have you ever been shaken up by something really deeply? Well, that's tarasso, to be shaken up, stirred up. When Herod heard this news, he was shaken. Like, you know, Belshazzar, he says his knees knocked when his kingdom's coming down. His body quivered. His old frame began to move back and forth. His arthritis got into his hand, clickety-click, and he began to shake, shake, shake. Matthew says that Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Christ was born to be a king in place of King Herod. In ancient times, kings often became kings by conquering other kings. That means if you didn't have a right to be a king because your father wasn't a king, you go kill a king, you're king. That's how you become king. So you can become a king by conquest. And Matthew is here implying that it was Jesus' certain destiny to replace this awful king. 
This is the deeper reason why King Herod was shaking in his shoes in trouble. He was afraid in his psychopathic soul of the king of the Jews who would take him down. The same response will be felt at the end of time by the leaders of the world. You know, you turn to Revelation 6, 16, and 17. It says that Christ is coming through a wormhole. Yes, the sky will be rolled up like a scroll. And there is biblical evidence that the place of God's throne is Orion. Biblical evidence for this. And through that wormhole, when the sky is rolled up as a scroll, the prophet John says that the kings of the earth, the mighty men, the great men, and the free and the small, begin to say, hide us from the face of the one who is sitting on the throne from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of the wrath has come, and they will hide in the rocks and caves. And the response at the end will be the same as it was when Jesus came the first time. They were afraid when Christ came. When Christ was crucified, his crime was posted above his cross as recorded in Matthew 27, 37. Why did they put him on the cross? Why will they challenge God's people at the end? It is always the same. Matthew 27, 37. And over his head, they put the charge against him. Now here is what he was guilty of, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. That was his crime. That was his defense. And Christ is coming as King. Friend, Is there a place for the king in your life? Herod was afraid of this title, and so Pontius Pilate, and by extension Caesar himself and all the empire, was afraid of the king of the Jews. And so the Jewish leader tried to put it to rest by condemning Jesus as the king of the Jews. We have no king but Caesar, the Jewish people cried. Every generation must choose between Caesar and Christ. Every era in a time of decision when one king must be chosen over another, the choice is always the same. Caesar or Christ, who do we choose? That first Christmas, Herod chose Caesar and all Jerusalem with him. I ask you the question this Christmas, who will you choose? And so Herod quickly inquired from the wise men where this king of the Jews was to be born. You will notice here that Herod does not question if he has been born. Herod does not challenge this at all. Deep in his fearful bones, he knows it is true. He has been born. He knows it is true. He can feel the king coming for him. Herod wants to know where he has been born. That psychopathic killer of a king wants to kill the king of the Jews. He wants to do what later Pontius Pilate will command to happen, to kill him for being a king. You know, the same is true today. We don't live in different times than that, do we? We live in a secular age when philosopher kings in many forms want to kill Jesus all over again. They want to take him out of our culture, out of our lives, out of our prayers. They want to remove him from Christmas. They want to kill his teaching. They say that Christ was a cruel moral teacher. They align with Satanists to keep the commandments out of the schools. They write books like The God Delusion. And then they attack Jesus because that's who they're really after. They want to remove Christmas too, and yet they do not protest a statue of Lucifer as a mentor with children in the public square, which has come to light in recent years. They want to take Jesus out of the public discourse, but they don't mind what you put in his place. It's okay. Just get Jesus out. They want our children to be taught that Jesus didn't live and that Jesus was nothing but a myth and a mist that needs to go away so that we don't need to abuse our children by teaching them religion. I'm quoting what Richard Dawkins and others have said. And so we must be moral and love our kids and get that out of their lives. And they want to silence honest men and women who speak in the name of Jesus in the public square, the school, and even the church. And so we have shootings in churches like the one in Texas because Jesus is challenged in every age by Caesar. Caesar or Christ, so many today have chosen Caesar. 
And just as Herod was deeply troubled that first Christmas, the modern secular heart is just as troubled this Christmas. The times are the same. Matthew 2, 4, And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he, King Herod, inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Now Herod wants a GPS coordinate to hunt down Jesus and kill him. And so he asked the religious leaders where to find him. Get the prophecy books out. Now he didn't care about prophecy. But he wants to use whatever means he can to find them. Look at verse 5. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, you are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come forth a ruler who will govern my people Israel. You know, as deceived as they were, and they were deceived, they still knew a little prophecy here or there. They knew the city where Jesus was to be born. You know, we live in a time where religious leaders in the ranks of God's people today, some of them, we have very good ones too, but I want you to hear what I'm saying. Some of them would have us believe that prophecy doesn't matter in the remnant church. Did you hear me? Well, it does. Because the remnant church was created on the wings of Bible prophecy. If those time prophecies of Daniel are nothing more than wishful thinking, we are playing games here on Saturday morning. Because the book of Daniel predicts a prophetic movement that would arise at the end of the Middle Ages, a calling out of the medieval captivity. And that that prophetic movement would bring Christ and the Word of God and prophecy together in a mix that would meet the challenge and specter of the mark of the beast at the end of time. And so when I hear voices that scoff at the three angels of Revelation 14, they make fun of the 2300-year prophecy of Daniel 8.14, acting like they're smarter than the wisdom that has given us the connection to unite these timeline prophecies. I feel pity more than anything else for dear souls like this who have never bothered to inquire carefully from the Scriptures. The four great world empires of Daniel, the little horn powers of Antichrist. You know, when you read the book of Daniel, you see all those things. You also see prophecies that point to the coming of Christ in Daniel 9. The great 70-week time prophecy of 490 years in which from the decree to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah Prince is mapped out in chronological time so that in the New Testament era, those dear people who were studying Bible prophecy could recognize Jesus and be ready for His first coming. Friend, God is given us prophecies that point to his first coming and God has given us prophecies that point to Christ's second coming so we too can be ready when Jesus returns. So the spirit that would denigrate the study of the prophecies in a Christ-centered manner is not the spirit of Jesus and we are to test those spirits. If a man or woman rejects the prophecies in Daniel Revelation, they might as well reject Jesus Christ because Christ is in the book of Daniel Revelation. In fact, when you open the book of Revelation, what do you see on the very front side of it? You see Christ walking in the midst of the seven candlesticks. Who wants to get rid of Christ in the church? I don't. You look in the book of Daniel and Christ is the man in linen standing over the waters of the stream, guarding God's people in every age. Do you want God's protection in your life? These books are an extension of the mind and life of Christ. As Christians today, we'd better be studying prophecy. Am I right? Better be studying it. And I have no problem saying that to anyone who thinks it isn't so. It is so. And so those philosopher kings dumbed down the church in Jesus' day. And they do the same today when they belittle the prophetic messages of mercy from God that are meant to prepare a people for the coming of Christ. And in the place of the sure word of prophecy, they offer this philosophical, messy mush of human wisdom and theology stuff they dream up in their heads. 
instead of the brilliant prophecies and truths of the Bible that point to Jesus as the Savior of the world. I'll take the Bible anytime. That's how it was in Herod's day. The religious leaders affirmed to Herod that this king would be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem first appears in the Bible in Genesis 35, 19, when Rachel dies on the way to Bethlehem. She dies having a baby boy. And so Bethlehem is first famous for the death of a mother who was trying to have a child. And her tomb was there on the way to Bethlehem. Jacob confessed this when he died. Look at Genesis 48, verse 7. Here we have it. For when I came from Padan, Rachel to my sorrow, literally in the Hebrew, because of me, he blamed himself for the death of his wife. Why did he do that? Because he had said, whoever is sitting on these idols, or whoever is hiding the idols in the tent, that person will die. And he knew he was a prophet. And so in the Hebrew, it doesn't say to my sorrow, it says, Rachel died because of me. He knew he had said, that person will die, whoever did that. And right afterwards, she dies. And so he was kicking himself for this. Rachel, to my sorrow, died in the land of Canaan on the way. Why? Because I spoke the prophetic word and I could not pull it back. When there was still some distance, now look where it says, to go to Ephrath. I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And so here we have the locality, Ephrath, Bethlehem, the location of the suffering. It means fruitful in Hebrew, Ephrath does. Bethlehem means house of bread in Hebrew. And around the place that is fruitful, around the house of bread, somehow there's a promise that a womb can have life, there can be a new beginning, and somehow life and healing and sustenance and filling can come from the tragedy of sorrow. The book of Ruth is a whole book devoted to the drama of a foreign Moabite named Ruth marrying a mighty Jewish man named Boaz from the town of Bethlehem. Well, unfortunately, we need to leave it there for the first portion of today's broadcast entitled The House of Bread. Thanks for listening today to Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentenko. We are a listener-supported ministry and would love for you to partner with us as we continue to present Christ-centered biblical truths of Scripture in practical and relevant ways. Call us right now at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Visit the website reachingyourheart.com to find out more about this ministry, Reaching Your Heart, and Pastor Michael Oxentenko. That's Reaching yourheart.com 888-244-HOPE that's 888-244-4673 you can donate right there on the website reaching yourheart.com 888-244-HOPE thanks for listening and as always we do pray that God is reaching your heart Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.